3: This is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You.
1: And today, I'm pretty excited to tackle a topic that definitely has shown up in my life. And I bet it has shown up in a lot of y'all's lives as well. And that is the quest for social media perfection. Emily, is this something you
3: can relate to? Absolutely. I think there is so much pressure on all of us, but especially women, for some reason, to live what I call a Pinterest perfect life, right? This idea that everything has to look like your life is beautiful. You have to showcase your perfect career, your perfect little family, your perfect little life, your perfect little house, your latte. And I fall into that trap all the time. Your Instagram presence
1: is pretty good. Your life looks amazing. Your life is amazing, but it it also looks looks amazing. It
3: definitely looks more amazing than it actually is. But it's because it's a
1: highlight reel. That's exactly it. I think back to when I was living in New York City, having probably the worst, most depressing time of my life. All my friends, they said things like, we can't believe you were so unhappy. Your life looked so exciting on Instagram because you were always seeing celebrities and going out and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, I think I was trying to curate a very happy and exciting life to make up for the fact that my life actually wasn't very happy or exciting. It was actually very depressing and sad. Right. And so the research is clear that this is something that young people, particularly women, are really struggling with. Many young people are struggling with mental health issues, depression, anxiety, but really projecting this very perfect life. And one of the things that makes that so interesting is that they really feel the need to do that because they think all their other friends are living perfect lives. And right. so it becomes an echo chamber where everyone seems to be living their best life, having the most delicious avocado toast, <laughs> drinking the coolest latte guilty. with latte art,
3: guilty, guilty. having the
1: most amazing yoga classes, you know, um, having the most charming pets. Right. But actually, no one's life is amazing all the time.
3: right? I know, it's this weird dichotomy because there's the alternative, which is open moaning on social media. And I'm not saying that there isn't a time and a place for venting, but there's, you know, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to take out your phone and take a selfie when you're having a depressive episode and a panic attack or you're feeling fat and you're like, today's not a day when I can wear those jeans that I wish I wanted, (laughs) that I had planned to wear today? You know, it's just like this idea that, of course, we know we're all curating our lives. The warped problem emerges when we forget that everyone else is curating their life as well.
1: Exactly that. So obviously, for as long as people have been communicating with each other, you know, sending carrier pigeons or smoke signals (laughs) or letters via Pony Express or any of (laughs) that— People have been curating the highlights of their of their life. That's totally normal and completely understandable. But what's different about social media is the extent to which we consume the curated lives of others. So it's just like what you're saying.
3: Yeah, it's like everything that's wrong with media targeting girls, like the proliferation of airbrushing, for instance, that sets an impossibly high standard for what your body is supposed to look like, is now peer-to-peer. You know what I mean? Like everything that is warped and makes you feel awful about yourself when flipping through a fashion magazine is now so pervasive because what has really been designed to keep us all in touch with one another has resulted in us comparing ourselves to one another. And
1: that's exactly when you fall into a lot of the pitfalls that we're gonna talk about today. Um so I just wanted to really highlight this one study. A recent survey conducted by the Girl Scouts found that nearly 74% of girls agreed that other girls tried to make themselves look, quote, cooler than they are on social networking (laughs) sites.
3: Oh that's a mean thing to say. I gotta say even the question (laughs) is a little is a little mean. The phrasing the phrasing I
1: it's a little mean. It just
3: sounds like a seventh grade insult, Emily. You think you're so much cooler than you are, and you're like, I know you're right, I'm- Emily.
1: Seventy five percent of other classmates
3: asked said that you came off as quote
1: too cool for school. How do you <laughs> How do you respond to that?
3: Uh, I'm gonna go to the bathroom and cry. That's, that's, what, <laughs> that's what I would. That was done my seventh grade go to
1: move. Same. Um, and so what's really fascinating is that they're really putting, starting to put a name to this condition, Gregory T. Eels, the director of the Gannett Health Services at Cornell University, he calls it, quote, social perfection, or the appearance of living a perfect life across various social media platforms, which Eels says can be just as damaging to the person posting those kinds of images as it is to people who see them. So really, it's about when you fall into this trap of feeling the need to put out perfection and images that are perfect— Other people see them, and it becomes this vicious cycle of everyone feeling like crap about themselves.
3: Exactly, and I love what he goes on to say about internalizing that as reality, because that's where the problems really arise. When you think, like, for instance, if my self-worth was directly connected to my Instagram feed, I would feel the need to keep up with that image in a really compulsive way. So what he's saying is that it's just as problematic for the poster who gains that kind of very understandable satisfaction from peer-to-peer approval from their online persona. He says, quote, It's not as if you really think I have to be perfect. It's that I think that you think that I have to be perfect. And so I need to put that image out constantly. I'm pretty sure that a particular Kylie Jenner talks about this quite often on The Life of Kylie. Is it something
1: you know a little bit about? I may
3: or may not have been consuming lately, because she talks about the difference between her own reality and her image. And as much as we like to pretend like celebrities' lives aren't quite like our own, I think in that regard, they really are. Everyone has their own sphere of influence. And so when you feel this dissociation between the image you've created or what other people think of you as and that image is something that's intimately connected to your own sense of identity and self, that's where some problems can arise.
1: I think that's true. And I think, again, I've definitely been guilty of getting caught up in that. But I think what Kylie is saying, I I never thought I'd use this phrase, but what what I think Kylie is saying is so thoughtful because it really reminds us that when we're on social media platforms like Instagram, not only are we competing with our friends, our classmates, We're competing with people who have teams that are dedicated to making their life look perfect and awesome, right? right? Like, Kylie has an entire team of people. Right. She's not just casually posting things in her bedroom the way that some of us are. And that, again, adds to that filter bubble where it's not clear where reality begins and ends, even within ourselves.
3: Exactly. And comparing yourself to someone who has a whole professional team— Behind their online presence is not fair. It's not fair and it's, it's, it's just a big trap.
1: Um, something I love that Eels, uh, says is that when he counsels with students, they often say when they're depressed or having a hard time, Oh, I look at so and so's life and she's so happy or this person's life seems so perfect. And he says, I can point at those students and think that one's gone to the hospital. That person has an eating disorder. That student just went on antidepressants. As a therapist, I know that nobody is as happy or grown up as they seem on the outside.
3: Yeah, and this seems to be especially pervasive on college campuses, which doesn't surprise me, uh, given the hyper-connectedness of a society that's on a campus together and connected virtually. In fact, in 2003, Duke produced a report describing how female students felt pressure to be, quote, effortlessly perfect, being smart, accomplished, fit, beautiful, and popular All without visible effort. At Stanford, it's called the duck syndrome because a duck appears to glide calmly across the water while beneath the surface, it's frantically, relentlessly paddles.
1: The thing I want to unpack from that is effortless. What the hell? When did that become part of the thing we need to be? It's wild to me that you are expected, if you are a young woman on one of these campuses dealing with this kind of thing, you're expected to be popular, beautiful, thin, social, all of that. All without any artifice of trying too hard. Because I woke up
3: like this. Of course, didn't we all? Exactly. I have always failed on that front in like my personal life. Like what has always put me in the category of nerd or overachiever or brown noser or annoyer, an intense person, and has always been clear from the very beginning is that effort is something that I put into everything that I do to a, To a terrible extent, you know what I mean? Like, I especially chafe at this idea of effortless perfection because that is something I will, I have never been able to and will never be able to achieve, that image of not trying but just being that cool. Like, Barack Obama has an effortless cool to him, even though you know he puts in work. Right, but why is effortlessness something that we've elevated, right? I don't know.
1: As I know you personally, I know (laughs) that you're someone who really cares about things. You want things to be good. You want things to be the best they can be. You really have high standards, not because you're a brown noser or because you're a dork. It's because you care about things being good and you want things to be right. And that takes effort. Things just don't fall into place. It takes work and effort. And I don't know where we got to this point where you have to be sexy, smart, effective, blah, blah, blah. But you also can't show any of the machinations that go into that. Otherwise, you're Intense and a dork. Yeah. And you're hated like Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
3: There's I a really, super identify with yeah, that.
1: There's a really great article about why some people don't like Anne Hathaway and it comes, it comes back to the mm-hmm. idea that people sense that she's trying. Right. And that even though she's great, she's a great actress,
3: singer, she's all that stuff. She's so yeah. talented.
1: She comes off as wanting it too much, so we don't give it to and her. And the
3: opposite is Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. She's the cool girl who doesn't care, man. She just does whatever. You know, she flies off the handle. She doesn't care. You know? She's just hanging. And that is the kind of thing I distinctly remember being envious of those people until I came to accept that I care about everything probably a little too much and there's no hiding it and... One of my biggest faults is how much I care. And I'm okay with that. I've accepted that because Jennifer Lawrence is an impossibly high standard for not caring and still looking amazing.
1: Um, she definitely cares. She may, like, we may have decided that for whatever reason she doesn't care and is not trying, but that's definitely not true. Yeah. There's,
3: um, it is, isn't it interesting, though, how people perceive those two women very differently based definitely. on effortlessness or effort alone?
1: yeah I mean, this almost takes me back to our episode around
3: Lisa Simpson
1: about one of the things that she get that that show gets so right is that she cares. She tries very hard and that's okay. It's, it should be cool to try hard. Caring about stuff is
3: cool. and it's not that she always succeeds. And that effort is no less important or valued when she's succeeding or failing, which, man, I love Lisa Simpsons. I know, I could
1: talk. We, we always go back to The Simpsons. It's one of those constants on the show. <laughs> I know, it's true. So bringing it back to social media sites like Instagram and Facebook, it actually turns out that it's not what sites you use, it's how you use them. And we're going to tease that out after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Can I rant for a sec? Please.
1: And we're back. We were just talking about social media and how it can really get into our heads. So it turns out that with sites like Facebook, a lot of it has to do with how you're using it. According to a study from University of Missouri, Facebook has been linked to symptoms of depression. If the social networking site is used to compare your life with the life of your peers, if you're using it to just stay connected or see your friends or see your friend's new baby, things like that, it's fine. But if you're using it actively to compare your life to the life of other people, I would say, like, particularly people your age, that's when you really have a problem.
3: And I just want to acknowledge that 100% of people listening were like, that's me. Because we've all been there. Have you ever rage-liked something? You're like, I hate you. Like? (laughs) I have. You're like, you and your perfect-seeming life. You know, screw you. Here's a little like button. And a thumbs up to you and your finished book manuscript or you're (laughs) you know so you're traveling the world you're in alaska on some cruise like i hate you but i'm gonna hit a like button because i don't want to hate you i wish i didn't hate you this whole psychological uh management happens within your own brain where you say you know something fiery flames up inside of you and you're like why do why am i reacting this triggered kind of way i shouldn't feel that way and when you say, I shouldn't have those feelings, we suppress and we box it in and we throw it to the farthest, farthest recesses of our consciousness and pretend like it didn't happen. When in reality, there's something different you can do. And you don't, I'm not alone in this. Am I, am I, Bridget? No, you're
1: not alone. I was going to say, this doesn't make me sound like a very good person, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> me and my friends have a running group chat where when someone posts something really just like, look at my amazing vacation, we will screenshot the picture and be like, for $50, would you write, no one cares, as a comment. (laughs) And we've never actually done it, but the the ante has gotten very high. Like, for a $1,000, would you comment,
3: no one cares, on this? (laughs) (sighs) That is so aggressive. I love it. I love it.
1: (laughs) It's not aggressive if it's happening in a private group chat. (laughs) No, it would
3: be if someone actually took it up on them. But that's, there is a part of everyone that wants to do that. Because... And here's my theory behind it is something about that picture reminded you of something that you wish you had more of in your life.
1: Totally. And that actually goes right back to the research. The University of Missouri researchers found that Facebook postings about things like expensive vacations, new houses or cars, happy relationships evoke feelings of envy amongst surveillance social media users. And so when you see that big house, it reminds you that you live in a Walk up crappy yeah. one bedroom apartment in Washington D.C. that has bugs. <laughs> if you're me. Um, or, no, it's actually lovely, but it's no, it's not a house that I own, but. Right. Or when you see, you know, that beautiful, you know, tropical vacation, you're reminded that you don't have vacation days or that
3: you can't take a vacation or that you wish you could and you can't. Exactly. There's resentment that bubbles up. And when we give ourselves permission to really, instead of like rage quit or rage close the browser, Instead of suppressing that emotion and telling yourself, I shouldn't, I should feel happy for them. I shouldn't hate this person. Processing it a little bit. Maybe it's through a private group chat, but thinking to yourself, what about this person's life do I want more of in mine? And what can I do to make it happen? That's such a mindful way to think about it where you don't spin out in
1: your own envy and rage but you make a plan for you, an actionable plan for your life. Exactly. And so if seeing someone's new baby fills you with instant dread and envy, maybe it's because you that's something you want in your life. If seeing someone's finished book manuscript or finished marathon fills you with a weird feeling in your gut that makes you instantly feel weird, maybe that's something you need to make a plan for in your life. thats I hadn't thought about that. That's a good idea. Well, it's a
3: way to reverse engineer envy to actually point you in the direction of what you want. So instead of saying... I hate that, I'm envious of that person, I'm going to run away from those negative emotions that we shouldn't be feeling, say, you know, without judgment in a mindful way, I'm feeling this feeling. Why? What do I need more of in my life? How can I get more of that in my life? And maybe you can't change the fact that you don't have vacation days, but maybe you can start a savings fund for a long weekend that's coming up. Maybe you can look into booking a staycation with your bestie. You know what I mean? Like, what can you proactively do? If you allow the envy to trigger action on your part, you're going to feel a lot better.
1: That's so interesting that you say that because I think working through instant negative gut feelings that we have is so difficult. So difficult.
3: Because in a, we live in a society that literally says, you shouldn't feel that way. So run away, feel ashamed that you felt envious. So now you don't just feel sad that you don't have what they have, you feel bad for feeling sad because we're all supposed to be happy all the time, which is the topic of another conversation. I know. We should talk about like America's relationship with happiness in particular because did you know that we smile more than any other society of people? I did not know that. Yeah, for future discussion.
1: That That is a good tidbit.
3: Here's something that will surprise no one, though. Of all the social media sites, there is one that researchers have found is most likely to trigger... Depression, anxiety, and loneliness, according to a a UK-wide study by the Royal Society for Public Health. It's not surprising, is it, Bridget, that of all the platforms, it is the one and only... Instagram. It's the
1: gram, surprising no one. Actually, one thing I did find surprising about this study is that the social networking platform that is most likely to generate positive content creation and make people feel good is YouTube. I
3: found that very surprising. YouTube is a very tight-knit community of creators. Yeah. I'm, and they all reference each other often. There's a lot of music happening there. I like I like that. I'm not surprised by that. As <sighs> long as you don't read the comments. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something very different about being a creator on YouTube versus Anyone who comments on YouTube is, like, 90% likely to be a sociopath. Yes. Or at least a closeted sociopath who rages against people on on YouTube comments. Why are the comments so bad? They're so
1: bad. It, they're so toxic. Don't read them. Um, yeah, Instagram. It doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, Instagram is so full of picture-perfect lives and avocado yeah. toast and all of this. I actually just saw a movie about the dark side of Instagram called Ingrid Goes West. Um if you haven't seen it it's it's definitely worth checking out. Basically Aubrey Plaza is a very disturbed young woman who gets so caught up in Instagram and having this perfect Instagram life that she goes to a very very dark place because she can't she cannot detach Instagram reality from reality reality. Mm-hmm. And so if it happens on Instagram, if it's, it's real. If someone is living the best life on Instagram, they have the best life and she needs to be having that. And if she doesn't, then she can't measure up.
3: Wow. With, without giving any spoilers away, like, was there an overarching lesson? Uh,
1: the overarching lesson is that Instagram is not always what it seems mm-hmm. and that Instagram it isn't, yeah, it's not, it's not real that getting caught up in it can okay. be really toxic. It also has a, a a wrinkle of the idea of people who make money from perfect Instagrams. And so, so often when you see a beautiful post, it's sponsored or, you know, SponCon or right. whatever, that that is its own kind of weird thing that we don't really, that our brains don't really allow us to fully acknowledge.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. You have to be careful with your media diet, right? You have to be careful about what you're feeding your brain and your eyes in terms of images, and when we consume what we believe is a loosely filtered reality, we can forget that it's not that loosely filtered. It's quite filtered. It's quite censored, improved, highlighted. It really isn't real life. But we forget that because it seems like such a democratic, small-D democratic medium right right it seems so accessible so that everybody must be having the same kind of experience with the gram that you are whatever that might mean
1: yeah i mean i've definitely tried to be a little bit better about how i consume instagram because i'm super prone to insta jealousy and thinking that people's curated lives are their real lives and sort of not taking a step back and saying this is super filtered super curated obviously because it's it's it, I think you said this earlier, it is like looking through a magazine, but the magazine is your friends. friends. And that makes it so much worse. And it's so much easier to compare your shortcomings with the shortcomings of your friends when they yeah. look so perfect. Yeah.
3: Can I ask you about that? Yeah. So which images, if you could categorize them, do you feel are the most likely to trigger that kind of envy when you're browsing? If you're willing. Yeah. Um, one is vacation. Photos. I knew you were going to yeah, say that.
1: I am not someone who takes a ton of vacation. Um, I actually don't know when my last vacation was. Uh, I mean, I can't remember it. So there we go. Um, I took a really kind of life changing trip to Australia. I think that I think I've mentioned on the show, which to me felt like a vacation, but even that was a working yeah, trip. Yeah. That was not a vacation. But in my mind, yeah. it was like I've never been like on an Australian beach before. Like this is amazing. And, you know, I see my, I, I have friends that really prioritize. That aspect of like their lives, tra- making time for travel and taking time off. And it's something that I've struggled with forever and seeing people who live. I mean, the, I wouldn't say they're busier than me or less busy than me. We were, we probably are comparable in what our lives look like in terms of work and responsibilities. And I just can't help but look at them and I'm like, how did you manage this? Like, how did you do, do a weekend trip to Cuba? Like, yeah. what is like, I, like, it's one of those things I've never been able to make fit into my life. And when I see other people seemingly make it fit so easily and so
3: well, I instantly feel like a pang in my stomach. I had a sneaking suspicion you were going to say that. So, Sminty listeners, we are going to have a campaign to get Bridget on vacation. I think Operation Vacation, (laughs) Bridget Todd edition, is officially engaged.
1: Well, I have to say, when I was in Australia, my hosts... When I said, oh, I haven't had a a vacation for years, my hosts were baffled. (laughs) My one friend was like, we just came from Bali. Like, what do you mean? Like, they could not wrap their heads around it. And I think it's a a uniquely American thing of not feeling like it's okay to take time off, not feeling like it's okay to, like, go to the beach if that's what you want to do. Yeah. I think that's a uniquely American thing because certainly my Australian hosts were like, no, we take vacations literally all the
3: time. I know we could talk. We could do a whole episode on that. I wrote a lot about that this summer on my Forbes column, actually, because it it is tied to our American connection between self worth and productivity. But yeah, I think vacation selfies are probably one of the most envy generating content pieces or categories on social media writ large. So you are far from alone on that front. Do
1: you have a an envy
3: inducing? Yeah, mine's always. It really, I have a nagging project I haven't finished yet, which is a book. So mine are always about professional envy, like awesome friends who are writing their books or friends who met a VIP that I've been trying to meet for a long time. You know the drill. It's it's like typical creative entrepreneur (laughs) jealousy.
1: Yeah. I mean, something that has been helpful for me in that regard with that kind of content that I see on social media a lot is reminding myself. Wow, I am in a community of kick ass women who do kick ass things. Exactly. That has been, I think initially I would see someone do something cool and I'd be like, oh, I want to do that. Right. I'm better than her. Like, why is she getting this opportunity and not me? Like, blah, blah, blah. But reminding myself, oh, how cool that these kinds of people are in my network. People who. yeah, Yeah, her
3: win is not my loss. Exactly. Exactly.
1: And for me, flipping it back and saying, her win is kind of a win for me. Yeah. In that I'm the kind of girl who knows, the kind of girl who knows Oprah. Yeah, <laughs> Or exactly. whatever. Yeah. Yes,
3: exactly. But sadly, that is not what's happening on a lot of college campuses in particular, and especially with a lot of younger folks, because that skill of being able to flip a narrative in your own head takes time. It takes practice. And really, unfortunately, not having developed those skills or not giving our young, like, students... The ability to learn those skills in a safe way when they're coming up on social media as the basis of their, uh, as I would say, an integrated part of their reality can have really life or death consequences.
1: Totally. That brings me to a story that is so, so tragic and one that I sadly identified with a little bit and I'm sure a lot of people can identify. And that is the story of Madison Holleran. Um, if you don't know who she is, she was a college student, um nineteen years old. She was a freshman at Penn in Philadelphia, and she tragically killed herself. And when she did, so many of her friends and family were shocked, mostly because she seemed to be projecting living this picture- perfect life. Um, ESPN did an amazing, um long read about her her tragic death and her life and the way that social media, had a big role, particularly Instagram, one of the saddest things about her story is that an hour before she took her own life, she posted a seemingly charming Instagram photo from Rittenhouse Square near her campus before jumping off a parking garage. And she clearly filtered the picture, and, you know, it's a picture that seems to be, like, twinkling Christmas lights, and you would see this and think, this is a girl who is living a happy life and is really happy about where she is, Mm. and it turned out that she wasn't, and no one really knew... And what's worse, no one really knew that they were all kind of feeling the same way. When she took her life, so many of her classmates and friends also reported, I felt the same way. I was lonely. I was depressed. I was anxious. I wasn't sure about school. I was feeling all these new feelings. But everyone else seemed so happy. So I felt like I had to be happy, too.
3: And, like, there was something wrong with me. Exactly. It it wasn't the stress. It wasn't the life. It wasn't the major life changes that we were all dealing with. It was something flawed about me personally. That's so tragic.
1: So an, a, a really telling line from this ESPN article about her life, they write, The life Madison projected on her own Instagram feed was filled with shots that seemed to confirm everyone's expectations. Of course she was loving her first year of college. Of course she enjoyed running. Her mom remembers looking at a photo on her feed and saying, Madison, you look like you're so happy at this party. Mom, Madison said, it's just a picture.
3: Oh, God. That's just so scary to think about as a parent or think about a friend of yours who's going through something like that, that just like it's very hard to ask for help when you are struggling with feelings of depression or, God forbid, suicide, it's extremely unlikely that you're going to ask for help in the form of posting something on social media saying... I'm struggling. Here's me in a depressive episode. Like, I'm having a bad bad go of it. I need help. You know, like, it's hard to ask for that kind of support and knowing that there are friends of yours that might be projecting this otherwise very sunny disposition who are in need of that kind of help. Just, it's terrifying.
1: It is terrifying. And I think, you know, one of the things I think that article really showed is that young women feel this intense pressure to just be perfect all the time. And even if something is going wrong, even if they need help, That's not cool. That's not sexy. That's not effortless. And so they have to mask that and tell no one.
3: I mean, it really is troubling. And it reminds me of a similar social experiment that was taken up last year in 2016 called Like My Addiction. And this campaign was created with help from production company Francine Frambois, for addict aid, which sought to raise awareness for alcoholism amongst young people. In it, an overnight Instagram success, a girl known as Louise Delage is apparently a 25 year old social media starlet who racked up over 50,000 likes in a couple of months, really just posting a ton of photos uh, showing her at boat parties, traveling, having endless dinners. And it seems like a pretty commonplace Instagram feed of a happy-go-lucky party girl. But what you realize, or what some people caught on to the fact of, is in almost every photo, she's always holding a drink. <sighs> and so really, the campaign sought to expose the fact that Louise, even though she was a made-up character, she has all the markings of a textbook addict. An alcoholic. I mean, these are posts from a daily basis of her drinking large amounts of alcohol, sometimes posting two to three posts per day. Wow. So it's just, you know, it's interesting to see that a lot of people didn't recognize the signs of alcoholism, just like we wouldn't recognize the signs of depression on an Instagram feed that otherwise looked quite positive and happy.
1: Yeah, I mean, what's so fascinating about that is if, if if she was real and she said, hey, I have a drink every day, sometimes multiple drinks in a day. I drink three times a day every day and I have for years. Right. You'd, be, you'd say, oh, you might have a problem. If it looks glossy and pretty and it's near a sunset or on a boat or on a beach, then we like it.
3: Exactly.
1: And I think that that connects so well back to Madison Holleran's story around depression and other kinds of mental issues and how they can play out on social media. From this ESPN story, they write, Checking Instagram is like opening a magazine to see a fashion advertisement. Except an ad is branded as what it is, a staged image on glossy paper. Instagram is passed off as real life. Yes, people filter their photos to make them prettier, People are also often encouraged to put filters on their sadness to brighten their reality so as not to quote drag down those around them. Mm. The myth still exists that happiness is a choice, which perpetuates the notion of depression as weakness. Life must be Instagrammed in more ways than one. Mm. It's so sad. So on point. It's so sad. And I think it's so true that even if you are having a hard time, if you can make it look good or you know, grammable, grammable. You know
3: what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Appealing to others, then it's not your problem. It's exactly for the audience. Yeah, exactly.
1: I definitely, when I was kind of at my at my darkest in New York, I definitely remember posting things that were meant to be sort of cheeky or funny, and really, I remember what I was actually trying to say was like, I'm miserable. Someone please ask me about it because I'm having a hard time. Yeah, but I don't. I, it's not cool to come out and say that, and so. What I did instead is kind of mask it as a joke under a funny picture or a funny caption. Um, when I, because it's so difficult to say, particularly on social media, yeah. that things are not great. And I think one of the things from Madison's story that I think is so fascinating is how her friends really took what happened to her as a wake up call to be more honest about how they show up on social media. And so, in a partnership with ESPN, a lot of her friends, Went back to their old Instagram pictures and recaption them with the truth. And so it'll be a glowing, happy image of a girl. And the person who's, who, who posted the picture will give a new caption that says, I look really happy in this picture, but actually I'd spent all night crying. Um, that party I was at, you know, such and such happened and I was really upset about it, but I didn't want people to think I had gone to a party and not had a good time. So I staged a picture where I looked really happy Aww. and really giving young people the tools to talk about their issues on social media in ways that don't make them feel like they have to be trapped by perfection. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the ways that folks can use social media in more healthy ways after this quick break. Snag
2: a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. Learn more at meaningfulbeauty.com
1: And we're back. And we were just getting into some dark stuff about social media that I'm sure we've all felt. Um, one of the things I found really inspiring about Madison Holleran's story is how her friends and family have really sort of taken what happened to her as a challenge to help others. Um, With a partnership with ESPN, her family started the Talk for Maddie Foundation. And basically, this helps young people get the tools they need to be more honest online and to be more open about different issues they're struggling with. What I love about this campaign is that they highlight that one of the best and most easy and most obvious ways to show up better on social media is really simple and really easy, and that is to talk. Speak openly about experiences in school, either as student athletes or just students, to make clear to anyone going through something similar that they are not alone, that there is a clearing on the other side of the storm.
3: I think that is so critically important because if we're so busy trying to reinforce a false reality of what our social media life looks like by pretending in our real life to uphold that. That's exhausting. You know, it it really, it truly is a lot of work to keep up with that kind of an image. I just love that they're encouraging folks to use the hashtag TalkForMaddie in Madison's honor to have the courageous conversations in real life with your friends, with your loved ones, with your classmates even. When you are struggling or when folks are having a tough time of any kind, that we don't need to pretend that everything's perfect all the time.
1: Because n- nothing is perfect all the time, right. even though we use hashtag perfect or hashtag bust.
3: Blessed. Oh, God. You know, sometimes we're, sometimes things are... You should seriously... Sp- Comment on my stuff saying nobody cares if I ever use the hashtag blessed.
1: I'm, oh, I'm sure I've used hashtag blessed. Pro- hopefully, not. facetiously, maybe. I mean, I'm probably yeah. ironically. I'm probably ironically, That's but funny. I have a lot of. I have yeah. I see it used a lot, and I I get the inclination to want to make things perfect. But nothing's perfect all the time, and really there's no such
3: thing as perfect. I've even seen one of my friends who's a therapist uh, really bravely post when things are not going so well. She'll post something like saying, here's my dirty, dirty kitchen, and I have two small kids be- b- below the age of five. I have a career, and I am running this household on, on this particular day, you know, and this is what that looks like. And I'm not going to pretend like things are perfect here all the time. She goes on and says, I'm having a rough day. Here's why. And I think being willing to be brave in that way is really compelling. Because even now, but especially when I was in my darkest moments, when I was completely burnt out and navigating some big life transitions and trying to escape a really toxic relationship, I thought if I don't have something good to say, I should say nothing at all. (sighs) And so it was sort of like social media silence there for a little while. Yeah. I guess I, yeah. Come to think of it, that, that that might still be my policy. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably why my feet look good. It's like when I'm having a bad day, I usually don't post. Yeah.
1: But I think going back to the example that you just gave about your your therapist friend, I think when people see that, they connect. So I think with your, totally, when, if you're a frazzled parent and your day looks like, you know, missing the big soccer game and screwing up dinner and being late for work and having your shirt on inside out all day or whatever, whatever it looks like when you're honest about that. It gives other parents the, the courage to yes. say, yeah, my days look similar. The people who try to present this perfect, like, right. I'm killing it all the time, right. those are people who make us, who can make us feel alienated. Exactly. I think when people are honest about what they're going through, other people, it really resonates I with them. I think one of
3: my favorite examples of that was when a friend accidentally wore two different shoes for most of her day. She, like, left the house with two different shoes on. And she did. She posted a photo of it saying... This is what, this is what's happening here on this Tuesday. And I was just like, yes, girl. Like, thank you for sharing that. Cause not only is it honest and real and indicative of just how crazy and imperfect our lives can be sometimes, but it was funny.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think about a time that I did that where I almost was like, oh, this might be TMI, <laughs> but I had been back and forth and back and forth in airports and I didn't have time to do a lot of like clean, <laughs> personal cleaning things. And I had to freeze my leggings. The, yeah. the crotch of, or, Febreze the crotch of my jeggings, and people will often say, "Oh, your life looks so jet set and so hip and blah blah blah." And sometimes that looks like breezing your jeggings in the I crotch, love right? It. Like it doesn't always look as cool as it might look sometimes.
3: I'm I'm taking notes here, Bridget. Fe- I love it. Febreze those, forbreeze those jeggings. <laughs> Wait, that I mean that. It's a good tip. Um, noted. Yeah, for sure.
1: So let's talk a little bit more about what you, yes, you a listener, can do to make sure we don't get caught up in social media. So one tip is not just to get caught up in sharing when you have the perfect trip or the perfect avocado toast or the perfect sunset. Don't be afraid to also share the mundane things. What does your life
3: really look like? Right. And be honest with yourself and with others and be kind to yourself when you're sharing that. The other that I found really compelling is that to remember that the study from the University of Missouri suggests that using Facebook to compare Your life to others is where depression really gets its start. The other thing to keep in mind is that this research from the University of Missouri really focuses on the comparison trap as the root of depression. So if you find yourself using social media, Instagram or otherwise, to look at other people's lives and compare it to yours, and you find yourself stumbling into that envy cycle, Acknowledge what's happening. First, become aware of when you're feeling triggered in that way. And give yourself permission to get out of that comparison trap. Remind yourself that their wins are not your losses. That if you are feeling envy, lean into that discomfort enough to get clear on what exactly about their life is something you want more of in your life. And make a plan to get more of it, whatever that might be. Find a way to take proactive action to getting after what it is that you really want.
1: I love that advice so much, and it's been really useful for me in my life. I also think remembering that if you're envious of somebody, it's possible they're envious of you, too. Um I've looked at my friends who have seemingly perfect home lives in our hometown. They they own houses. They are married. They have kids. They have dogs. They have land. You know, they have what seems to be this perfect domestic life. And I'll say, gee, I—, I I'm a little jealous. I want that. Yeah. Those same people could be looking at my life and saying the same thing. Like, oh, she, her life looks exciting. Her life looks, you know, she's got a lot going on. And it's interesting to me that we, the grass is sort of always greener. When exactly. we, when we think about our situation, we assume, oh, it's everyone else is having a better time than me, but people could be
3: doing the same thing about you. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important to have the talks in real life, right? To talk for Maddie to this idea of, Continuing those conversations, not only when you're killing it, but also especially when you don't feel like life is giving you a fair shake. Like, have those conversations in real life. Pick up the phone and use it for its original intended purpose. I know, it's terrifying I to imagine. I haven't
1: spoken to anyone on the phone since, like, I 1992. The
3: closest I come <laughs> is FaceTime. Um, but FaceTime or otherwise with someone who you can actually confide in. And beyond what we can all do as individual social media users... There's
1: actually things that social media companies can actually do. Um, The authors of that University of Missouri study that we referenced earlier in the show, they say that social media companies can actually be embedding tools into their platforms that encourage healthier use of social media. These include things like a pop-up warning to let people know when they've been on the app for an extended period of time, or disclosures indicating when a photo has been digitally enhanced or filtered.
3: Ooh, I like that idea. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. These sound so unlikely to me because... Every app has been designed to be as addictive as possible so that you stay on the site, so that you continue to be served ads, so that they continue to make money. And at the end of the day, we need to remember that social media sites are for-profit enterprises. They are selling you. You are the product. You are the eyeballs they're selling to their advertisers. And it's just important to remember that when we're binging on Instagram. It's just important to remember that you're being used as much as you are using the software.
1: Yeah, one of the authors of this study really put it well. He said, it's important that we have checks and balances in place to make social media less of a Wild West when it comes to young people's mental health and well-being. And it seems like right now we're not doing that, and we
3: could be. Absolutely. And that's why it's so important that we keep talking to one another. It is so hard and so brave to ask for help when you need it. That, especially for those who are listening today, for whom Maddie's story resonates, I think it's important for us to just put the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline out there for a second. Because if you are feeling like you're struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts, allow this to be the moment when you take your life back, when you take that next courageous step of asking for help. And that number is 1-800-273-8255. That's one 1-800- 800 273 8255 and that number might sound familiar to some of you, because if you caught this August MTV Video Music Awards, you would know that Def Jam artist Logic performed his new single of the same name, 1-800-273-8255, during which time calls to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline spiked.
1: And as we sign off today, you're going to hear a little bit more from our good friend Logic, and we really want to hear from you, too. Talk to us. What about this episode resonated with you? What is your social media trigger? When you see avocado toast on Instagram, do you instantly get a twinge in your tummy? I want to hear all of it. Let us know. You can get in touch with us on Instagram. I know we just spent the whole day <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. At stuff mom never told you on Twitter at mom stuff podcast and as always on email at mom stuff at howstuffworks dot I feel like I'm out of my mind It feel like my life ain't mine I want you to be alive I want you to
0: be alive Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
3: This episode is brought to you by Pedigree. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it is closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive